Hello, I'm Grayson Bolte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. If you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. Discover what's next for mobility at SAE's WCX Digital Summit, April 13th through the 15th. SAE is bringing together the individuals and companies that are developing the future of mobility. Join us at sae.org forward slash WCX. That's sae.org forward slash WCX to register and learn more about the live and on-demand sessions. On today's episode, I sat down with Beth Moses, aka Double O Cool, astronaut and chief astronaut instructor for Virgin Galactic. Best passion for space is contagious as she tells us about her experience and her desire to bring commercial space tourism to a broader audience. As I said, she's double O cool in our book, so let's blast off and enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Beth. Thank you for having me, Grayson. It's really wonderful to be here, and uh, and this is a real honor. Um, I used to attend SAE conferences and uh, and speak uh, to my technical work, and uh, and I'm just really honored that you guys asked me to come join you. Oh, thank you. That's that's very kind of you. Well, we're honored that you're here because you're really cool as an astronaut. And I have to say, before we get into this, you were commercial space astronaut 007, which is 00 cool in my book. <laughs> well, thank you. I uh, I'm you know I'm an engineer and a geek. I'm not sure I've been called cool very often in my life, so I'll take it where I can get it. I was saying that it's it's not about me. Um, I am. I am thrilled that I am able to do this job and I try to do my best at it, but this is all actually for much greater good. It's for our customers at Virgin Galactic who are, you know, getting ready to fly with us, but also just for the, the democratization of space, the opening of space to, you know, much more broad segment of the population. I mean, this is, this is for the good of the future. I'm really honored to play a little tiny part. I love my number 007, but it, but it's honestly not about me. And seven was a coincidence. There have been total so far in, in, in history, seven astronauts who have served on flight crews of privately funded spacecraft, uh, two on Spaceship One and five on Spaceship Two. I, it's a total coincidence that I was number seven in that line, but I will say all of the first six are jealous, so I'll take my cool points where I can get them. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, because as a young girl, you wanted to, to build and fly a spacecraft what started your interest in space? Because now, as, as I said earlier, you're double O cool. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Um, I, there was nothing specific that started my interest in space. I always loved space. I wanted to build and fly spacecraft. I was sort of the tomboy bookworm who tinkered with things and built marble raceways. And um, I just always loved space. And I honestly think that's a bit of, a, of an innate human condition. I think every child looks up at the stars and is amazed. And I think we all have curiosity and exploration in our souls. Um, I was fortunate that I grew up in sort of the era of the space shuttle. And so when I was growing up, space programs were a thing and astronauts were an occupation. And when, you know, a grown-up asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? You could say astronaut and it was real and it was on the television and, you know, it was on posters in the library and, um, uh, I was definitely inspired by the space shuttle program, but there was never a thing or a gift or a moment or a conversation in my life where it started. It was just always part of my being. You're right about children having a fascination with space. And my daughter comes home and says, daddy, 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 we get, we get to pick a topic and do a presentation for the end of the year. And, and keep in mind, she's seven. And she said, my friend Jane's doing one on NASA. I said, you know, it's even cooler 
space tourism. And I said, and she calls this podcast the radio show. And I said, don't worry, Daddy has an astronaut coming on the radio show. And she really wants me to ask you this question because she's fascinated with space. Was it fun, in her words, to ride in the rocket ship? <laughs> yes, it was fun. <laughs> Please give my best to your seven-year-old daughter and tell her it was exceptionally fun. Um, yeah, it, it was fun. I will. I, I have to say I will caveat this by saying I was there to do a job. I was also taking data. There were sensor readings, and it was the first time that anyone in history had traveled to space in the uh, customer cabin, the passenger cabin of our spacecraft. So I was being very diligent to be safe, keep myself safe, get ready for the work I was about to do in space once the rocket ride ended and we were in space. Um, so it was also hard work and there was a lot of responsibility on my shoulders, but of course it was fun. It was a rocket. I went Mach 3. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up in one of my favorite movies is The Right Stuff about the test pilots in the early, early days of the space program. And you, you watch this and it goes back into your whole thing with children being fascinated with space. And I'm being fascinated with space. I've had these dreams where you're either in a spaceship or you're in a Virgin Galactic and you're, you're looking down on the world. And I'd love to know, what was that experience like? What's going through your head when you're, you're in this magical place where only 571 humans have ever been? What is that like? Well, it's almost indescribable, and I have struggled to put good words to it, you know, ever since I experienced it. Um, it. It is, it is magic. It is transformational. It is, um, it is, it is pretty amazing. Uh, so let me tell you just a little tiny bit about our flight to give you the context of what I saw and what I experienced from the very utmost highest point of our trajectory uh, up at Apogee. Um, we are a suborbital spacecraft. So we launch straight up and come straight back down. Uh, and it's almost like throwing a ball, just tossing a ball straight up out of your hand. It sort of slows down until it gets to its top spot. And then it you know, comes back down, picks up speed. Um, that is what our hybrid rocket motor does for us. And so in the ship, you are traveling straight up, slowing down, coming to a stop, and then heading back to Earth. Um, we actually did not realize until after my test flight that uh, no one else in history other than myself on, on our craft with my, with my two pilots, Dave and Such, had experienced that trajectory while unstrapped and floating free inside a spacecraft. And in my test, uh, the two pilots were strapped into the cockpit, but part of my, my job, part of my test was to unstrap, take data around the cabin, and then at the topmost part of our flight up at Apogee, experience Apogee in order to be able to train everyone else who flies in our cabin. That's my job. I'm the chief astronaut instructor. So I purposely had a few seconds, only seconds of my work day that day in space where my job honestly was to experience what you just asked about and what children dream about and, and uh, understand how best to train people for it and how best to experience it just as a human being. So I went to the part of our spacecraft where we thought the view and the positioning would be exceptional, where we you know, are going to train all of our customers to be. Of course, it was at the windows. <laughs> and I let go of everything and I just took a breath uh, and I was very calm. This is, I'm, I am, 
I am an extreme environment test expert. My heart rate wasn't elevated. I was perfectly calm. So I just took a breath. I had let go of everything. I was completely weightless. I was hovering in the middle of the spacecraft, looking out all the windows, and I came to a complete stop. And that is just pure magic because outside of the spacecraft, the, the darkness of space is deep and black. It's very matte black. And it just goes on and on and on. It is, it is almost sort of endless and infinite. And then below you is the earth. And it is just exceptionally bright. I found it really, really high definition. I had trained and studied. I've seen every image from space ever, right? I mean, this has been my career. Many, many, many images. IMAX, Omnimax, movie. I mean, you name it. None of those pictures did it justice. Down below me was the earth. Super bright, super high definition. Uh, the day I flew, there, there were no clouds. Uh, uh, I flew in our test facility, which it was in California. So I could see up the coast and down the coast, west coast of America, and out across the Pacific Ocean. From our apogee, you can see 1,000 miles. So like I could see 500 miles up the US, 500 miles down into Mexico, 500 miles out across the Pacific. Of course, it's curved. You feel like you're looking out over a big crescent of the Earth. Um, and it's just so bright and alive and captivating. I, I know Mother Earth is a cliche, but but you feel like you are communing with Mother Earth. And because there were no clouds, we could see the entire landscape. It had snowed in Southern California. All the mountaintops were covered with white snow and they were just glistening like sharp crystals. I, afterwards, I wound up telling a journalist that I thought Earth was wearing her diamonds for us that day because each of those mountain caps that was covered in snow was just this gorgeous jewel that was super, super bright. And you just feel like time stops. I think it's because we come to a stop and we're weightless and hovering. Everybody's out of their seat, looking out of the window, and our vehicle stops. That's never happened before. Nobody's ever done that. I cannot wait until thousands, millions of people do this because you feel like time stops and you feel like... Oh, apologies. Apologies for the background noise. Uh, you definitely feel like you are just in this magic moment and it sort of sticks with you and soaks into your soul. Um, it, is, it, is, it is something that makes you realize that earth is beautiful, life is beautiful, humans are beautiful. Uh, we, we exist in this magic moment where we are part of a living ecosystem and it just you sort of just fall in love with everything right then and there you experienced this magical moment it sounds like you came back to earth a different person is that a fair assumption with a different appreciation yes i came back a changed person a different person still me but definitely transformed and it's funny people have asked me people ask me that question right away people have asked me that question you know regularly since i flew it's the kind of thing that marinates and soaks in and continues to change you, at least it did me. So like after I flew, I sort of laughed at myself because first of all, I was really, really glad that the company had reached that milestone and that the program you know, was sort of poised to continue. I was exceptionally relieved that I had not messed up my job because a lot was riding on me and my team was counting on me. And so I came back, um, relieved that I hadn't 
maybe sort of like screwed up the most important thing I'd ever done, right? So I came back with a little sense of relief, whereas, you know, for the time leading up to that, I had a bit of um, angst that I might screw up. So I came back relieved. But more than that, more than sort of the personal job performance, I came back far more um, accepting of everyone around me. I know that sounds odd, but I mean, what I used to say is, well, you know that jerk in the meeting, right? There's always one. Well, after I came back, I was just like, oh, he's just another human. He's just trying his best. It doesn't mean he's not still a jerk, but I don't care anymore. I'm like, oh, this is great. We're all people on planet Earth. Uh, and then since then, that feeling has stayed with me. Um, I've been told I'm more relaxed. <laughs> and I've sort of just slowly translated into my daily life. And, and more importantly, perhaps I've been, you know, even more reinvigorated and passionate to make sure that many, many, many people can go through this and that we optimize it for them. I mean, I had just a few seconds on the job and it changed me. People that will go to experience this and then do with it as they will, leverage it, transform it in, in back on earth. Imagine what they're going to be able to do. It's, it's something, it's more than we knew it could be. And we already, we were all true believers and knew it could be amazing. Um, so yes, it absolutely does transform you. It absolutely transformed me. Now, you know, this, at this point after my flight, I've done things like change how I invest and change how I view the earth as an ecosystem. I, am, I always recycled, but I really make sure I do now. I always cared about the earth, but now I feel like I know her and I care on a personal emotional level not just a uh, intellectual level um it it matters it changes people it changes people and the planet for the good you could i mean what you've said is that space flights for the good of humanity it's for the for the good of society and you could make the argument that if somebody experienced space there could be less negativity in the world or, or less people willing to do danger to others because they realize how fragile the environment, the ecosystem of the earth is. And it's going to be very interesting as we move forward and, and Virgin Galactic sends up millions and millions of individuals to space. If they come back with this profound change that you experience, maybe the world becomes a happier place, a, a safer place. I'd I love to know, what would the experience be like for future? Well, it's going to be phenomenal. Um, and you're exactly right. Uh, you know, we aim to send 400 flights a year from every spaceport. Uh, so, you know, if you fast forward, millions of people will gain this transformative experience that connects them to the earth and each other. That it, that's the aim. And it is sort of for the good of all. Um, the experience itself uh, starts when you buy a ticket. Um, this is sort of an end to end crafted experience and a community. It's not just the hovering in space moment that I just described and had a little tiny glimpse of. This is an extremely crafted experience for customers. Um, we currently have 600 uh, individuals that have purchased tickets. They're all part of our community of current future astronauts and their experience begins when they buy a ticket. Uh, many of them say they love the future astronaut community. And I personally have witnessed, you know, I've, 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 uh, I have, um, so, so these folks are welcome to come for tours. I've measured them for their seats. Our staff is engaged with them. Um, uh, they all are, kindred spirits, birds of a feather, space lovers, and good people. So they, many of them say that this community that they become a part of when they buy a ticket is 
great. And the space flight is sort of the, you know, icing on the cake at the end of it. Um, when you get to sort of the brass tacks of the experience beyond the community, uh, folks will come join us here in New Mexico, as our, you know, at least at our first spaceport. Um, and they'll have a week of training and flight. The idea is roughly three days of training before a space flight on day four. We're going to optimize that. It may change. Um, but the idea from my staff as the chief astronaut instructor is to ensure that folks reach space ready to savor the experience and be transformed and enjoy their flight in pretty much whatever way they prefer, whether they have some objectives coming in the door or they just want to uh, you know, experience whatever strikes their fancy there, we'll enable that. You know, you'll have training, you'll have sort of a day that's about you, a day that's about the cabin, a day that's about the integrated rehearsal and launch, and then your flight. Um, the, the experience doesn't end with flight. You know, you're still part of the community. We've hired, we have a, a new expert on our staff who's come to us recently as our experience architect, Joe Rohde. He is phenomenal. Uh, he, his job, and he's got a Disney Imagineering background, he's a member of the Explorers Club, he's a conservationist, so he connects all these threads for us, and he is going to optimize the details of this experience so that in space, when you have that magnificent view and you're hovering, your whole time has been optimized so that you get the most out of it, because then we honestly think that what you said at the beginning is exactly true. Everyone will be changed in some way. And that really honestly on the planet, it will be a happier, safer, more connected planet once the power of this perspective is optimized and, and brought to many, many people. That, that brings up a great quote from you know, the former CEO who's now the chief space officer, George Whitesides, where he says, space is not only important for the future transportation, it is important for the future of the imagination. And you have a gentleman from the Explorers Club, which is a phenomenal place with incredible lecture series, Disney Imagineering uh, background. P putting this all together, is that what you, the individuals to go up there and kind of say, how do we build a better world? How do we build a better society? And just let the mind run and you don't think about the problems on earth. You just think about this incredible experience. Absolutely, that's absolutely a part of it and a heart of it. Um, so I'll give you my own case as an example, and of course our customers are are you know not going to be on the job, and so you know should should have a phenomenal experience, um, sort of unlike mine. But in my just sort of one little case, the sort of the seed maybe starting it, I trained myself. Uh, of course, I had other staff certify my training, the FAA certified my training. But as a chief astronaut instructor, I trained myself. I took myself through the training program. Others helped. Others certified me. And I expected that at Apogee, I would be able to identify landmarks on Earth and want to and just sort of like be oriented. Like I would look out the windows and I would understand north, south, east, west, the geography below me, California, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Like I, I trained. I could have told you so much about the geography underneath me when I flew. I, you know, I had no idea. And um you know, our, our pilots and our simulator engineers, they helped, right? Because of course the pilots have to identify the runway to land, you know what I mean? So we were, we were very, very highly trained, Dave, Suge, and myself. And it never even dawned on me looking out at the earth from our apogee to put a name to anything I was seeing 
it was so remarkably powerful. Even though I had trained to do that, it wasn't until we came back into the atmosphere after entry and I was sort of back in my seat and sort of looking around like you do from a, a very high altitude aircraft that I went, oh, look, there's Santa Monica. My friend is there. I wonder if they're looking out the window. You know, I mean, I, I never, in space, hovering weightless inside the ship, looking down, you become something slightly different than the human who left Earth and it soaks in and transforms you in a very holistic overview way that uh, that I think is universal. I think that will be universal no matter where you come from, what your occupation is, what your desire is, what language you speak, how old you are. We have customers from 60 countries every decade of life from age 18 to in their 90s coming to us from all over the world. I honestly don't think they're going to register in their brains during their magic transformation in space anything sort of remotely related to their daily life or the human impression or imprint of the geography beneath them. I think they're just going to register their base humanity and the base nature of the planet they're seeing. It's a very intrinsic, ironically grounding experience that connects everyone. I mean, I, I sort of joke, but it's sort of not a joke. If we could sort of like lock all world leaders into our spacecraft and have them hold hands and look down at the earth, that's like the real version of, you know, singing Kumbaya. That's like it, that, because it just hits you at your root life level and your sort of root mother earth level. And I only had a tiny taste of it. So we are attempting to optimize that as we go forward for everyone else that flies. It's, it's clear that you, know, you came back with this different perspective and You've mentioned training several times, and I'm going to go back to the right stuff here for a moment. And you see the G-Force training and all this training the astronauts went through in the right stuff. Is that what your experience is like, or is this like the high-end virgin concierge? What does that whole training experience look like? Well, it's the best of both. It's the high-end G-Force hero. You called me. What did you call me? You called me. You You're double cool. cool. Yes, you it's are. That. There you go. <laughs> It's totally double O cool. <laughs> um, let me talk you through the training a little bit, but, but let me first preface it by saying, yes, of course, we are a virgin company, uh, you know, and our aim is to open this broadly, uh, but our aim is to deliver an exceptionally crafted experience from, you know, start to finish uh, that is, um, you know, ultimately accessible to many, many people, but is expertly, expertly curated. Um, we are abs absolutely customer service, of course, right? Um, but in terms of training, uh, you would have, you know, come, please come train with me. I'd love to. <laughs> this is our first training consultation. I'm going to ask you things like, who are you? When do you want to get out of your flight? Uh, can I please measure you for your seat? Um, and we would have an initial consultation where we would just chat, you, you know, yourself and a trainer, like, for example, me. Um, and we would just chat about, you know, who you are, what you want to get out of your flight. And the one question I ask all of our customers is, what do you most want to get out of your flight? What can I get the most right for you in your training? You know, for example, if this was your lovely seven-year-old daughter, she would probably say, oh, my God, make the rocket ride the best part. Right? You know? <laughs> so... Uh, we have folks that come to us and the answer to that question is very varied. We have folks that, you know, want the rocket ride. Uh, they simply want to check this off their bucket list. They want to see space from Earth. They want to float around. They want to do a Superman. Some people don't want to get out of their seat. They've already been weightless or they don't care so much about weightlessness. 
They prefer just to be, you know, zen and quiet and still and strapped in and look at the earth. So you would come to us after a few consultations over the phone and maybe after, you know, sending in perhaps your height measurements so I could get your seat right. <laughs> you would come to train, <clears throat> you would come to train uh, for your flight. And uh, the training is somewhat physical. Uh, we do put you through increasingly elevated G in an aerobatic aircraft. We also put you through periods of increasingly reduced G in an aerobatic aircraft. So what that means is you will go on a few banking turns that, that slowly increase in G. You know, we'll take you to one and a half G, two G, three G. We'll make sure you're feeling okay. You know how to do an anti-G straining maneuver if you want to. Uh, and then we'll take you sort of up and over a hump in the same aerobatic aircraft so that you sort of feel like you're going, you know, up and over weightless the top of a roller coaster um, hill. And that's all to give you the experience of <clears throat> reduced and elevated G so that you're not experiencing it for the first time on your flight and you know what to expect and anticipate and you can make yourself more comfortable if you choose to. You don't need to. You don't need to do an anti-G straining maneuver. You don't need to have experienced weightlessness before, but we want you to be comfortable and really sort of focus on the view outside as opposed to this new feeling in your body. So that's part of the training. Uh, there's also suit up and gear and of course, photography and media capture. We're gonna give you the best souvenir, you know, book you've ever had of photos and videos of both your training and your flight. Um, we, you will come train with the people you will fly with. So I would give you a call and let you know what day to show up. And you, if you hadn't met them before in this wonderful community, you would meet the folks that you're flying with and we would sort out things like who sits where. All the seats are perfect and the same. Every seat is both a window seat and an aisle seat and it has a private sunroof, <laughs> two windows. Uh, you can't open the sunroof, of course, but we would go through basics like your seatbelt. How do you get back in your seat for entry? That's a very important thing to do. And I would make sure that you never fumbled with that and that you, you know, had done that repeatedly so you didn't have to think about it when you were doing it in space. Um, you would have some mock-up runs inside a training mock-up with your actual pilots that are going to fly you to space. Uh, and then we sort of, you know, capstone that and surround that with hosting and the integration of any of your guests or friends and family so that they understand what you're going through and they can be part of that week with you. And then on flight day, you show up and I strap you in and off you go for this magic experience. <laughs> this is the most in in incredible experience in the world. And so you ask what I want. I want to get the fancy space suit. I want to get the astronaut wings and I want to experience weightlessness. And so I think you can check all those and then I get the photo to prove I was there. You've checked all my buckets unless you show me something else that's really cool. <laughs> that you can do up there and uh one day I'll, I'll i'll get up there and i'm looking forward to this and as we as we look to wrap up on this incredibly insightful deep conversation i'd love to get your thoughts on what is the future of commercial space tourism i think it's opening space in all of its multi-varied complexity to a much broader range of humanity for the good of humanity I, I, I think commercial space, which is basically defined as sort of the non-government exploratory programs, but the commercial programs, uh, I think it is a turning point in humanity's progress overall. I think the space age is, is incredible. Um, you know, if you go back 100 years ago, there was really you know, no such thing as air travel, certainly no such thing as space travel. I'm rounding, maybe it's 120 by now. Um, 
and people had not been off the planet or seen the planet from afar. And now you look at us as a species, we are so connected globally and we have a visual glimpse of that and an emotional soulful glimpse of that from space and from our space travelers. I think commercial space simply expands that to the point where it is um, sort of a real present force. I mean, if you can imagine a day in the future where, you know, every university or every large city or, you know, every small group you belong to has someone who's been to space and sort of has that chill, collected, happy vibe. I think it matters. I think it helps us all. I think it sort of marinates us all in, in connectedness and everything I've talked about already. Um, in terms of commercial space, I absolutely wish the best of success to all the commercial space companies. This is not about, you know, our company versus another company or our architecture versus another architecture or our destination versus another destination. This is about, you know, a rising tide lifting all boats, getting more of humanity to experience this commercial space. Um, it's also not just about individuals going to space for private astronaut missions and experiencing the transformation. It's also about taking researchers to space more frequently and more cheaply so that they can tend their research and get faster you know, returns on their research than, you know, for example, a, a, a long orbital program. You know, if you can fly your research, get it back quickly, fly it again quickly and cheaply, you can learn more and more quickly. This is also about training. You know, our platform can provide training for other platforms. Uh, I really think commercial space is about massively broadening space access and infrastructure, which is great for humanity. Um, I really, just on like a human personal level, I really, really, really am dying for the day where it's really not just astronauts, it's also artists that go to space because I struggle to articulate what I have experienced and what it means, but artists could do that. I want, you know, not just pilots to go to space. I want poets to go to space. I want you to go to space. And then I want to look you in the eye and have that magic moment of, uh-huh, now you get it. I mean, it's, I think it's, I think it's important. <laughs> I'm happy you brought up artists and I'm sitting here in a few hours. I like, uh, like, a, you know, Jackson Pollock and his drip paintings. Imagine if he was in space, what, you know, how the drip paintings would have changed or Picasso went into space. I mean, it could completely change the art world of what they've ex experienced because a lot of the Picassos or in Van Gogh, for example, were all based on the experience of their surroundings. And when you go to space, it will change art. It won't just change art. It'll change all of society and it will have a, a positive impact on society. And so Beth Moses, from now on, you are double O super cool. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast because tomorrow is today. Today is tomorrow and space is the future. Beth, thank you again. Grayson, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Tune in next week to hear from Alex Rodriguez, co-founder and CEO of Embark Trucks, as we discuss building a business from testing to commercialization. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast. 